Hey, welcome to the Lifehouse Newport News podcast. Thanks for joining us. Our vision is to bring life change through Christ to all people. And we believe that happens when people say yes to Jesus. Do life together, get in the game and leave a legacy. If this podcast inspires and challenges you to grow in your faith, subscribe to ensure you don't miss a single episode and share it with someone you know who may need it too. Again, thank you for joining us today. Now, let's get to this week's episode. So we are starting a brand new series today called The Hope of Christmas. Uh, 2020's been a crazy year. Uh, and because of that, it seems that Christmas is starting a little early in so many realms. You can see trees going up, shopping's happening earlier. Like people are ready for some hope and people are ready for some Christmas. That's happening in the warehouse. I will say that. Trees want to go up earlier. Lights are going up earlier. Why? Because I think deep down inside, we know 2020 has been a tough year and we have a deep sense of needing hope. Lights are great. Presents are great. Being around family is great. Presents are great. Music, shopping, generosity. It's a time for all of those things. But I think all of those things are just symbols of what our heart is literally longing for. And that is why we're doing this series, because we want to inject into your soul the hope that Christmas, especially Jesus, brings during this time. And so that's why our theme at Lifehouse is Christmas is hope. But hey, the truth is, is how we define words matter, right? And I think before we dive into talking about hope, we need to actually define what this word hope, hope actually means means because the way our culture defines it and lists from it is completely different the way that the Bible describes it, right? Our culture typically defines hope as a wish. We say things like, will the Dallas Cowboys ever win another Super Bowl again? Just, you know what, type in the comment section if you think so. I would probably say, no, Jerry Jones, he's made a deal with the devil. I'm, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, but no, what you would probably respond back is, will the Cowboys ever win another Super Bowl? It's probably, you know what? I uh, maybe, but I hope so, right? Me, I'm asking, will the Jacksonville Jaguars win an, an, win another game this year? They're on a ten, like nine game losing streak. Won the first game, lost, lost nine straight. If someone asked me that, I would say, I, I hope. Will my wife ever stop spending so much money at Target? And this is a personal question. Love you, babe. Uh, but I, my answer to that is, is like, I, I uh, probably not, but I, I hope. So we typically think of the word hope in our culture as a desire for some future thing that we are uncertain of, of attaining or actually happening. But this is completely opposite of the biblical definition and connotation of the word hope. Biblically, hope is the confident expectation, the sure certainty that what God has promised in the word is true and will happen. And it's not just a hope in the desired outcome, but a confidence in the thing or person behind the hope. In other words, your hope will only be as strong as your confidence in the person or thing that the promise came from. Hope is mentioned in scripture 190 times, right? Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, he he was saying, hey, when it's all said and done, these three things are what make Christians rich, and make them effective in this world. He said, faith, love, and hope. Paul put hope on the same level as faith and love. Peter said in first in 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 the um, 
in the book he wrote in 1 Peter 1.3. He said, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That as Christians, what we have received from Christ, we haven't achieved it. What we have received because of what Jesus did is we now get to walk in not a dead hope, a forgotten hope, but a living hope, a hope that is available right here and right now. I could go on and talk about the the rest of the 189 scriptures centered on hope, but the point is this, right? Hope is not a peripheral characteristic of a Christ follower. It is one of the characteristics that we are called to be known by. Would people view you and see you as being a person of hope? I uh, I love what C.S. Lewis said about hope. He said this, hope is one of the theological virtues. This means that a continual looking forward to the eternal world is not, as some modern people think, a form of escapism or wishful thinking. But one of the things a Christian is meant to do, so what he's saying is a Christian is meant to hope. It does not mean that we are to leave the present world as it is. Because if you read history, you will find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were just those who thought the most of the next. And I think we all know and we have all seen and and experienced what it's like when somebody doesn't have hope. Have, Have you been that hopeless person? where you cannot view or see anything beyond your current situation or circumstance. And it can feel like a prison. Maybe you've, you've got a spouse or you've got a friend that you know has been, has been in a place where they do not have hope. It is like a sickness in the soul. And it's crazy how Proverbs 13, 12, the writer of Proverbs a couple thousand years ago, described hope or a lack of hope this way. It says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. What he's saying is hope that is not there, that is far off, actually breeds inside of you. It can make your heart probably physically, but not just physically, spiritually sick. It says, but a, but a longing, a hope fulfilled is a tree of life. And what I think today is that some of you have let in or are feeling or are starting to feel the onset of that of that sickness of not having hope because 2020 has dealt us blows. I mean, blow after blow. And I mean, it, it has just, you know, hope, bam, bam. I mean, it, it has put us at, at a place where some of you right now are just feeling hopeless. But honestly, think about this. When something, when someone is sick, what, what do they have? They have symptoms. And really, I think that some of you have, are experiencing the sickness of hopelessness, and you're starting to show some symptoms and some signs of that sickness. One of them is cynicism, where you're just so cynical. Whenever you see something good happen, you're like, oh, well, you know, wonder what they got to do that. Yeah, well, that's, what's that going to do in this broken, jacked up, messed up world? How's that one good act going to do anything? And, And what you find is your heart is becoming cynical. Even when you see good, you don't even believe it's true or real. And one of the symptoms of a sick and hopeless heart is one that, that, you're, that is just cynical. The second symptom, sign, is where you get caught up in addiction and where you are so hopeless in your present situation and in your present life that you feel you've got to escape. And so you find an addictive behavior. 
you 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 find an addictive sub sub substance to almost escape your present reality because your present reality you don't feel any hope or like there's anything that's going to come or good happen in the future. And some of you are experiencing that and you're trying to numb the pain and numb the hopelessness that you feel. And that's just a sign, a symptom of a sick heart. The third symptom, though, is you just kind of fake it. You know, it's like you're hopeless. But like, man, if I'm just positive, if I just speak positive words and I just, you know, positive, positive, it's going to breed positivity. And you've been saying the right things and you've been trying to be positive. And, but deep inside, you literally know what you are saying is fake because you're trying to produce from the outside in and manufacture a hope by suppressing and pushing aside and by closing your eyes and like an ostrich, putting your head in the sand and just pretending like things aren't really bad. And I don't know about you, but you can be positive, 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 positive. But if that's fake and you're doing it just to suppress the feelings instead of actually feeling them and exploring them and being like, where are these coming from those feelings don't leave those feelings are there you're just suppressing them with fake positivity these are all symptoms and signs of a sick heart so what my desire is today is that during this christmas season during this series even during this sermon right now is i want to be a hope dealer i want to be a hope dealer (laughs) and i want to be a hope doctor today that can prayerfully dig to the root of some of these sicknesses and symptoms that you feel and that you have going on And I can offer you the Christmas hope, but not just the Christmas hope, the Christian hope that we have an inheritance to as followers of Jesus Christ, this inheritance into a hope that that Scripture says can either perish, spoil, or fade. So I want to give you a few thoughts. First off, Christmas and Christian hope doesn't deny reality. Being a Christian and being a hope-filled Christian doesn't mean you put your head in the ground and deny reality. And unfortunately, this is the way that many people I've seen Christians. Is it's just like, you know, we just, you know, if we just got our head in the heavens, our mind in the heavens, our head above the clouds, and 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 we just, you know, just act like there's no pain, hurt, injustice, or des or desolation going on. But here's the thing: as Christians, we don't deny reality. But we don't let reality define us. I'll say that, I'm, I'm going to say that one more time. As Christians, we do not let reality, we, we don't deny reality, but we don't let reality define us. What do, what do I mean by that? Is that we live in a broken, jacked up, and messed up world. And I think sometimes we can deny, and we say, oh, no, God's in control. This too shall pass. It's all gravy with the Lord, you know, and really what we can do is we can deny and actually put our head in the sand and deny the actual reality of the experience of not only us, of so many people around us. But you got to also see, man, like this was the Christmas story. <laughs> like when you dive in and you look, especially into the time that Jesus came into, it was a desolate time. Like if you were to define, to define reality when Jesus came on the scene, it was a desolate time. The Jewish people 
had been promised that a savior was coming, but they didn't know when. The Old Testament scriptures and prophets had foretold Jesus coming, but they were waiting for it. And the scene before Jesus came was total desolation. The Jewish people were, were in total desolation. They, have had, they had had 400 years of silence. And really, you know, in theological terms, it's called the, the intertestimonial period, where between the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi, and the first book of the New Testament, Matthew, there was what was called 400 years of silence to where there were no prophets speaking in the name of the Lord. There were no words from God. There were no thus saith God. Like it, it was just a silent time and the Jews were just in a very, they, they were kind of, of just saying, God, where are you? You promised us this, but now what the heck? You told us, you know, and they were in that in-between space of what God promised and what God was going to do. And, and, and possibly that's where you feel like right now. You're, you feel like you're in that space of just like, God, where are you? You told me this and God, what is going on? But also too, Jew, the Jewish people, they were under Roman rule. So they didn't even have a place to call their, their home. They were exiled in their own home. The Romans ruled them. The, you know, they were unfree people. Many thought that God had forgotten them. Some fought against the Romans, like some denied reality, some fought against this system. But you can see the time here, it was barren and desolate. And like I said, it was this space of being right in between what God had promised that God would send a savior and their current experience was desolation and pain. And so let me ask you this, how do you handle the in-between seasons of life, between where you are and what you believe that God has promised. So there is a story in scripture about two people, Abraham and Sarah, and this was going back to Genesis where God told Abraham, hey, Abraham, through you, I am going to bless the earth. I'm like through, through you, Abraham, there is going to be your there's going to be an offspring and through that offspring I'm going to create a brand new a brand new nation a brand new place and and through you I'm going to bless the whole world through it so they so Abraham had this promise but the thing was when God gave the promise and when it came to the point the promise happened there was a long time, some say 70 years, 80 years, and it got to the point Abraham was 100 years old and had not, and Sarah was 100 years old, and they still not, they still hadn't had the child. Now, we know on this side that God blessed them, somehow gave them a child in their old age, and we saw the from, from that promise we now have the nation of Israel from Israel came to the church and so on God fulfilled his promise but at the same time there's some commentary that Paul gives in Romans 4 about about Abraham and stories about Abraham and Sarah's story that I would like for us to check out really quick this is what it says here Romans 4 it says against all hope Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, 
but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. Let me bring out a couple points here. First off, it says that Abraham did not deny the fact that his body was dead. So Abraham is realizing, I'm a hunted. My wife's a hunted. And we ain't got no, no baby. And I can just imagine Abraham being like, I ain't got no drive, if you know what I mean. And I can see him being like, Lord, you want this baby to happen, but I, I, I don't know if I can make it happen if y'all are catching my drift here. And so, but what I love here is it said Abraham faced the fact that his body was dead. He did not deny what his reality was. But then it said he did not waver in unbelief regarding the promise of God. <laughs> he said, this is what is true. This is what the situation is. But I also have faith to know if God said it, God is going to do it. And y'all, this is what Christian hope and Christmas hope is. It's built on these two truths and tensions, defining reality, but not wavering in unbelief regarding the promise of God. Don't deny, but don't let the situation define you. Let what God has promised define you. You see, God honoring hope doesn't deny reality, but also has faith and hope in the God of the promise. Now, I don't know about you. I grew up in a Christian home that almost said, if you even acknowledge something that you don't have faith, right? So they'd say, don't, you know, if I was sick, I'm sick. Don't say you're sick. Do not say that. You're claiming it. Or we, I, I'm, I'm broke. Don't say you're broke. You're highly favored. Even speaking it is saying it. And when, when you say it, you're cursing yourself because words have power. And, you know, I, I think people had good intentions, when when they when they taught that, but at the same time, I don't I, I don't see how defining reality and stating that uh, something is real and true means you have a lack of faith in God and what God can do. I actually think you need to define reality so God can actually come in and you can actually know what you are asking and believing God for, right? And some of you were taught that same thing, like it was like if. If you defined reality, you didn't have faith. Well, I'm letting you know that is not true. Okay, hope is it is holding these two two truths in tension. You define reality, what's real and true, and you don't waver in unbelief, knowing that if God said it, God will do it. If God promised it, He will see it through, and that is what Christian hope is. Hope is defining reality, but not letting reality define you. Secondly, Christian hope and Christmas hope is not passive, it's active. Christmas hope and Christian hope, being a Christian and the Christmas season, the hope is not passive, it's active. Now, look, I want to go back to the C.S. To, to the C.S. Lewis quote when he said this, hope is one of the theological virtues. This means that a continual looking forward to the eternal world is not, as some modern people think, a form of escapism or wistful thinking, but one of the things a Christian is meant to do. It does not mean that we are to leave the present world as it is. If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were just those who thought the most of the next. And I love that part where it says Christians who did the most for the present world were those who thought the most of the 
next. Y'all, the truth is when you hope and, 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 and when as a Christian and when you, you view the Christmas story, having hope doesn't mean you just wait for that hope to happen. It's saying, how can we make the most of where we are right now until we receive and get to the place that we believe God has promised? There is a very unwell-known, very little talked about guy in the Christmas story named Simeon that we're going to actually check out today and glean something from. Uh, we're going to check out Luke 2, 25 through 32, and this is part of the Christmas story, and this is what it says here. Um, it says, at that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout and was eagerly waiting, eagerly waiting, if you will, in the comment section, type that in, eagerly waiting. He was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue, and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him and had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's m- Messiah. That day, the Spirit led him to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby, uh, Jesus, to the Lord, as the law required, Simeon was there. He took the child in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace. As you have promised, I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people, Israel. Old, so just, 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 just pause here. And this scene to me is just really, really funny, right? What's, what, what the writer Luke described here of Simeon, you've got this like old guy, right? Who, who basically said he was, he, he was a servant in the temple and he was eagerly waiting for, for the Messiah to come and save the Jewish people. And he was just there in the temple serving, but it says he was eagerly waiting. And then Joseph and Mary bring baby Jesus to him. He sees him and he knows this is the the Messiah. And he takes them. And then he says, Sovereign Lord, I can now die because you told me that I would see this promise before I die. I've seen it. Lord, you can go and kill me. (laughs) I was just like, this dude's weird. But, But at the same time, what I saw... And probably all of my Lion King lovers, you could probably also see this. It's kind of like Rafiki in the Lion King. Whenever they come and bring the brand new Lion Cub Simba to them, and they take them and hold them up, it's like the circle of life, and it moves. Uh, but I mean that—that's what I see Simeon doing. And anyway, sorry, I just got sidetracked there. But but the thing here that that. I want to point out and what I want us to 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 explore here about Simeon is what caught my attention here is when it said that he was eagerly waiting. Right? The original New Testament was written in Greek and the Greek word used here is the Greek word uh pro Jesus this is a hard word to explain explain prosdecomai, right? <laughs> Which what I found what I found really really interesting about this word is that it is a verb. So so it's a word that connotates not passively waiting, but being intentional, active, and busy while you wait for what you're hoping for. It's, it's, it, it is a verb. It's not passive. It's active. It's basically him, him saying he wasn't just sitting there. He wasn't sitting there in the temple, you know, 
twiddling his thumbs. He was sitting there in the temple saying, how can I do what God has called me to do at this moment while I am waiting for the promise, right? Like, have you ever found yourself waiting and waiting? And while you were waiting, you mindlessly scrolled through your phone or did something to pass the time. That is not the kind of waiting that the historian Luke is, des- is describing here about Simeon. But he was saying that by using the specific Greek word that, den- that denotes actively waiting, Luke is saying that Simeon was busy going about what God had made clear to him to do, serve in the temple. He didn't wait for the Messiah to come and then start serving in the temple. He obeyed what was clear from God without knowing the next step or when God would fulfill his promise to him. I think there's so much we can learn here, fam. Where if you feel like you're waiting, don't wait passively and waste time. Instead, actively wait, fully obey, and dive into what God has made clear, not passively wait for what God might reveal next. And I think this is a word for some single people, some, for some single people out there. Actively wait for your spouse. Don't waste your singleness, right? Don't just think you're not fulfilling. I, I just no. Actively wait for when God will bring you, or when you will, they or whatever your future spouse. Don't waste the time you have. Actively wait. Maybe you say, John, I know in one year I'm going to have a different job. Don't waste the time in the job you currently have. Make the most of that. Actively wait while you are waiting for the promise you feel that God. Has for you. Maybe you say, John, and you know what? At some point, I know I'm going to I'm going to live in a different city. So why? No, don't actively wait in the city you are currently in, and love the city, and serve the city, and get plugged in, and make a difference in the time you have. Actively wait until that point in that time where you know God is going to give you what He has promised. That's what I'm saying. Christians and Christmas hope is not passively waiting. It's actively waiting for the promise to come. And I just want to thank thank my guy Simeon in Scripture for not being a passive waiter, but for being a what? Active waiter and teaching us that today. Lastly and quickly, Christian hope and Christmas hope is a filter we see the world through. Right? I, I told you this. Christmas and Christian hope does not deny reality, but it doesn't let reality define us, right? Secondly, it's not passive, it's active waiting. And thirdly, Christian hope and Christmas hope is a filter that we see the world through. When you think of a filter, I always think of taking pictures, right? Where whenever you take a picture on Instagram, you put a filter of it to make it look better. And really, as Christians, and what we see through Christmas is we are called to be people that view our world, the good and the bad, through a filter and lens of hope. Meaning this, even when we see our beauty, or thing, even when we see beauty in the world, things that we love, we don't see it, that thing, or that we see as the ultimate end all, but instead a foretaste of the ultimate beauty we will experience when we are with God, right? The brokenness we see, we see it through a lens of hope. The broken systems, the broken people, we see it through a lens of hope, knowing that this is not the final say. We view it knowing God has the final word, knowing that God at one point, at some point, we're, we're not sure 
when, but that's the promise we know and look forward to in scripture that one day God is gonna make all the wrongs right. Where there is injustice, he's gonna bring justice. Where there is chaos, he's gonna bring peace. Where, where there is turmoil, he's gonna bring love. He will bring peace where there is brokenness. He will bring wholeness. We we view the beauty and the brokenness in our in our world through a filter of hope, knowing ultimately the promise giver will be the promise keeper. And the truth is this, y'all, we even view Christmas this way, where y'all, we celebrate the fact that Jesus became a human. I mean, he came on and took on and took on flesh to know what what we experience and scripture and scripture tells us in in Hebrews 4 that we have a king a god that is that that is able to sympathize with us because he's been through what we've been through he put on flesh and we thank god for that and we celebrate that at christmas time that the word became flesh and dwelt with us but at the same time we view it also christmas through a lens as well, knowing that we're glad that Jesus came and died on the cross for our sin and rose and defeated Satan's sin and death. But we also view it saying one day Jesus is going to come back again and rapture his church. So we look at Christmas, we're thankful and we're joyful, but we even view Christmas itself through a lens of hope, knowing there is a promise and, and the expectation even beyond this, that Jesus will come again and rapture his church. I love what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4.13, and this might be a strange, uh, a strange scripture for you, but it says this here, brothers and sisters, we do not want you to, to, be, to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. And what Paul was saying here, he's saying, church, let me tell you, you even view death through the lens of hope. He's saying, hey, let me tell you about people that, that, that die, that know Jesus. You can grieve, but grieve with hope. You can grieve, like grieving is a part of people die, like you need to go through a grieving process. But at the same time, when you grieve, you have a lens where you even grieve with hope, knowing what they are experiencing in, in death is so much better than beyond anything they've, they've experienced on this planet Earth. You can grieve with hope. You can love with hope. You can go through suffering with hope. You, you can go through pain with hope. You can have joy with hope. The point is this, y'all, that hope is not just something we have. It's somebody we are. That we view our life and see our life and not putting too much in the good because we know it's just a foretaste of the ultimate good that God is and God will give us whenever we're face to face with him. We don't view the brokenness as being the final straw. God's in charge. He's got a promise. He'll make the rights wrong or the wrong is right, Jesus help, help, Jesus help me, I'm tired, right? But here's the thing, we have a lens of hope that we view things differently because we know the God behind the promise, that when he speaks a word, it's, it's true, that when he sends a word forth, that it will accomplish it. Maybe not in our timing, in our way, but we can know that if God says it, it will happen. Thank you again for joining us today. If you need prayer, have any questions about what you just heard, or said yes to Jesus for the first, second, or third time today, please reach out to us at lifehousenn.com.
www.ericsmartin.com or text 757-690-2401. We'd love the opportunity to pray for you and help guide you through the next steps in your faith journey. In the meantime, we hope you'll join us online next Sunday at 9 a.m. or 10.30 a.m. at lifehouseonline.com or in person for a live worship service at 8.30 a.m. or 10.15 a.m. at the Regal Kiln Creek Theater in Newport News, Virginia. Visit lifehousenn.com for more information or to reserve your live worship service spot today.